Hello, dear listener, and Happy New Year from your favorite professor. I am, of course, Professor Mortimer. Welcome back to Apparitions. In the spirit of the New Year's holiday, where we reflect on the past and look forward to the future, I bring to you the podcast equivalent of a repost, or maybe we should think of it as a cross-post, because the creator of the audio you're about to hear wants you to hear it, in the hopes that you might have some insight into the subject of her podcast, The Disappearance of her twin sister. An astute student of mine alerted me to this after it was first cross-posted on the podcast Jest. So, I contacted the creator, Miss Jill Wright, to see if I might share it here as well. Because this being a horror podcast, frankly, this terrifies me. She agreed. Here is her podcast, Monument Valley. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me. It's a beautiful autumn evening here in Calabasas, California, and my good friend LaFroy and I are coming to you live and cozy from the orange plaid sofa in my basement. My regular listeners, all four of you, know that fall is a difficult time for me. This October 16th marks the five-year anniversary of my twin sister Casey's disappearance from a camping trip in Monument Valley National Park in Utah. I'm Jill Wright bringing you Monument Valley, a monument from the valley. My name is Mark Percy, and I was engaged to Casey Wright for eight months. Yes, you have to be careful in the wilderness, but in my opinion, you have to be far more careful around people. Nature has no desire to kill you, no intention. Only people have that. What would Casey want for you? Would she want you to be doing this? I don't think she would. Sometimes I get afraid I'll never be normal again. (laughs) Not like I was that normal to begin with. Tonight's show will have a unique structure. Rather than interviewing a particular guest, I'll be weaving together clips from previous shows. A uh, greatest hits, if you will. A collage, a, a, a reckoning of my five years talking to myself in my basement. My name is Mary Louise Wright, and I am Jill and Casey's mother. Thanks for letting me interview you, Mom. I don't know if I like this. It seems kind of morbid. Why are you doing this? Why was I? 
that was four years ago. Mom was one of the first people I interviewed. It, it began as a, as a tool to help me cope, grieve, investigate, even given the incompetence of the private detective my parents hired. I would argue the tapes helped me reach the acceptance stage in the Kubler-Ross model, but Mom disagrees. Making these tapes doesn't sound like acceptance to me. It sounds like obsession. Is that one of the stages? Every time I come over here, I'm afraid I'm going to find your walls covered with maps and uh, pieces of string connecting everything. You're like one of those JFK people. Or like that guy from A Beautiful Mind. Okay, a, a conspiracy theorist believes that the, that the accepted version of a story is a, a cover-up for a more insidious, complicated truth. I... I can't be a conspiracy theorist because there isn't any accepted version of what happened to Casey. There's no version at all. I open your refrigerator and it's water, beer, mayonnaise, a lemon, a single string cheese. It doesn't strike me as the refrigerator of a mentally healthy person. Casey disappeared five years ago while on a camping trip with her fiancé, Mark Percy. They met on Match.com, and five months later, they were engaged. Which was kind of shocking, because Casey hadn't had a serious boyfriend in years. Mark's profile pictured him on a rafting trip, and said he enjoyed camping, cooking with marijuana, and bluegrass music. He... He struck me as one of those Colorado part hippie, part bro types, which I do not enjoy, but nobody has my opinion. Our first date was to an old Crow Medicine Show concert. <laughs> Mark seemed like an idiot to me. But he was good to your sister, and that's more than we can say for any of her previous boyfriends. I had been in a relationship for six years, and she ended things really abruptly and horribly. So when I started online dating, it was just to get my feet wet, get back into the dating world. Then I met Casey, and I thought, you know, I'd go for it. Sick of waiting, sick of taking things slow. I'm not getting any younger. Let's, let's go for it. They meet. Five months later, they're engaged, and the wedding is set for one year ahead all very fast. And now they're doing all this stuff that Mark likes to do. Outdoor music festivals, craft beer tastings, camping. Casey starts wearing all, a lot of North Face. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> then, in October, they say they're taking a week-long camping trip to Monument Valley. I had never been there before. I certainly don't ever want to go back. I still have nightmares about that place. You have to see Monument Valley to believe it. It's alien. Red. Orange. Like Mars in a sci-fi movie. These twisted red pillars rising into the air like the ruins of some ancient civilization. Like sentinels guarding an empty desert. We'd been on the trail for three days. 
It was our third night. I twisted my ankle earlier that day. I was looking forward to setting up camp for the night so I could put my feet up. Found a good spot. It was a really spectacular sunset that night. There was a ridge about a mile ahead on the trail. Casey wanted to check it out. See the sunset. I didn't want to. So she went off by herself to see it. My name is Rhonda Grinnell. I've been a ranger at Monument Valley National Park for 12 years. In that time, I've been involved with three uh, significant missing person cases. The first was a young boy who wandered away from his camping group. We found him 13 hours later, dehydrated and frightened, but uh, otherwise okay. The second was an elderly man with dementia who uh, committed suicide by totem pole rock. In both cases, we found the missing person within a day. We searched for Casey Wright for two weeks. Never found her. Worst two weeks of my life. We all went out there, of course. Stayed in this horrible motel on Navajo Reservation. The police, park rangers, local volunteers, helicopters. Day after day. Nothing. I'd go outside my motel room at night to have a cigarette. More stars than I'd ever seen. Cold, dry air. And quiet. Absolute silence. It was surreal. I was afraid I'd go crazy. So, what happened? What happened to her? What happened? Five years later, I'm still wearing grooves into this couch, still drinking scotch, still asking the same questions, calling out to the void. An hour later, she hadn't come back. It was almost dark. I was getting worried. I started up the path to find her. I'm calling her name as I hike. Nothing. I get to the ridge. Nothing. I go back to our campsite hoping she'll be there waiting for me. Nothing. It's totally dark now. I I take little walks away from our campsite, mile maximum, in every direction, calling her name, then back. I do this all night. Nothing. Occam's razor. Among competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions should be selected. One, an accident. She tripped, fell, hit her head, and they killed her. Her body is in a ravine or some other unseen location. Police brought packs of German shepherds, sniffed everywhere. 
Officers scouting all trails, all highways, volunteers all over the park. We, uh, never found a body. Till she deliberately ran away. From their campsite that night, it would have taken about two and a half days to get out of the park on foot. We would have found her in that time. There aren't any roads and weren't any car tracks within five square miles of where she disappeared. Three, she was killed and her body was hidden or disposed of elsewhere. Among competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions should be selected. The book Before Agreements had a profound effect on me. Don't make assumptions. When you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. You fixate on Casey so you don't have to deal with your own life. Homicide is the third most common cause of death among women ages 28 to 35. Over 80% of female homicide victims are killed by a man they are in, in an intimate relationship with. Yeah. Gotta stop doing this podcast, Jill. Thanks for coming, Mark. I listened to the last few months of episodes. Some of the shit you're saying, it's slander. If anyone actually listened to this, you could ruin my life. Occam's razor. What's that? I understand why you all want to think I killed her. It's easier. It's a way to shut that door, stop agonizing. All right. I'll carry that load. But you're ignoring the fact that none of us can get around. The pictures the police found on the disposable camera? Um, okay, so if you can just start just um, by telling me who you are and um, why, why you're here today. Um, my name is Lacey Renault, and I found Casey Wright's backpack in the gas station bathroom, the backpack that had her disposable camera inside. The backpack. The camera. The photographs. This is the part of the ride where the roller coaster goes careening off the rails and falls slow motion into the screaming crowd below. The camera. Uh. That, uh. That threw us all for a loop. Horrifying. Just horrifying. I don't want to talk about it. I didn't know that I'd found anything important. There was some money in there. It was a nice backpack, so I kept it. A week and a half after Casey disappeared, the police arrested a young woman named Lacey Renault on charges of drug possession and solicitation. At the time of her arrest, she was carrying a red North Face backpack. It was monogrammed with a CW, and inside was a wallet with Casey's license. Also inside the backpack was a disposable camera. Upon discovering the backpack belonged to Casey, the police developed the film. 24 pictures. They included Casey, Casey and me Mark. at the entrance to the trail in front of the state park sign. Casey, Casey standing, standing in front of a butte. Mark, Mark standing in front of a butte. A selfie of the couple kissing in front of a sunset. sunset. Uh, Casey crouching by a cactus flower. Mark looking off into the distance. Casey, Casey waving. waving from the top of a hill. A sunset, uh, sunset landscape of the mountains, etc., 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 etc. 
Then, Mark and Casey asleep in their sleeping bags, the rising sun coming up behind them. Then, a close-up of Casey's sleeping face, with Mark asleep in the background. And the last image. Casey walking alone on a trail. The photograph is taken from about a hundred yards away. She's walking forward, looking behind her shoulder, presumably at the photographer. She's crying. The trail she's on in that photograph is about six miles from the campsite where she disappeared. It's a part of the park she and her boyfriend never went to. We searched that area where the photo was taken. Several pairs of footprints, one of them definitely Casey's. And uh, nothing else. When I found that backpack, I was 19. I had a boyfriend at the time. We, we were both pretty into drugs, pretty gone. We were selling, too. A lot of the product was going through the Navajo reservation, so we spent time in the area. When we ran out of money and didn't want to sleep in the car again, we found caves, canyons, places we could stay where there'd be at least some shelter. It was a crazy couple of months. Drugs, motel rooms, driving, pickups, drop-offs, gas stations, being out of money, canyons, caves, doing things to get money, <clears throat> weird expanses where I don't remember anything at all, trying to bathe in the sink of a bathroom, walking alone on an empty highway at night, shivering on the floor of a cave, huddling against Randall for warmth. To be honest, I'm surprised I'm still alive. Tell me uh, about the backpack. I went into a gas station bathroom. It was wedged between the toilet and the wall. I didn't even think about it, just grabbed it and jogged back to the car. I didn't want to get stopped if whoever owned it was still nearby. And, um, sorry, late later that night you were arrested? Yeah, and they searched the bag and found out it was hers. Uh, some might say that you have only the most tangential relationship to my sister's disappearance, and yet you agree to come talk to me. Is there something that about the case that you can shed light on? It's a, t a time in my life I don't like to look back on. I was a mess. Uh, I was kind of in free fall, letting things happen to me without making any choices, kind of wandering in days. So whatever I remember, whatever I think I saw it. I, I don't know for sure if it was real. I, 
I understand that you're here. Randall and I weren't the only drifters. Once you start spending time in an area, sleeping in random places, finding bathrooms, finding places to eat, you meet other people. It's kind of like when it's quiet and mice start crawling out from holes. You you find people where you'd never expect to find them. Uh We had this friend named Chip. He was a tweaker. Must have weighed about 90 pounds. (laughs) Tiny guy. Funny, though. Always telling stories really a spaz. Anyway, um, one night we're sharing a motel room with him. It was pouring rain. None of us wanted to sleep outside. Uh, Late night, Chip goes off to score. Randall and me fall asleep. We wake up around 8 a.m. to this crazy pounding on the door, screaming. It's Chip. He's fucked up. He's soaking wet from the rain. His face is bleeding, and he's screaming. He's raving. We can't get him to calm down. We throw him in the shower, hold him down for a while, get him a Coke. Finally, he's calmed down. He'll talk to us. So what happened to him? He was giving head to this guy in a cave, not too far from the highway. He's on his knees. The guy's leaning against the wall. Then someone comes up from behind Chip. The guy he's blowing doesn't see because his eyes are closed. And he punches the guy in the face. The guy falls to the ground. Then Chip gets shoved forward. His face is smashed against the wall. He's stunned. He falls to the ground. He looks up. It's dark. But he sees... He sees... This is how he put it. Three hooded figures. He sees three hooded figures. They grab the guy. His pants are around his knees. And they drag him out of the cave. Chip tries to go after them, but he's bleeding. He can't see. He falls down at the entrance to the cave. He watches the three of them. They drag the guy up this incline to the top of a hill. The sun is rising, so Chip can see. Two of them are standing, and the guy's on the ground. The third hooded figure is bent over the guy. He's strangling him. Then he stands up. The second hooded figure bends down, and he strangles the guy. Then he stands, and then the last one takes his turn, bends down, and strangles the guy. At this point, Chip passed out. When he woke up, no one was around, and he ran back to the motel. Do you think this really happened? I wouldn't think so. Chip was high, and he tells a lot of crazy stories. But he was so fucking scared. And then, he's not the only one. My friend Sam, she works at a gas station off 163. She's heard stuff like that. She always has a handgun with her when she works nights. I've heard truckers talk. And this Navajo kid we gave a ride to, we started telling him the story. He got so upset, he made us pull over and let him out. He was shaking. And then... uh, What? What? One night, I went to a motel room with this guy. Uh, Randall and I needed money. Anyway, he let me sleep there after, which was nice. He wakes up in the middle of the night. He's rustling around, and it wakes me up. He says 
he left his cigarettes in his car. So he goes out to get them. Uh, I'm falling back to sleep. Then I hear some noises outside, like kind of a yell. And then some thumping, some scuffling, other voices. I get up and look out the window, which faces the parking lot. I see three figures walking down the highway away from the motel. They're dragging something behind them. The guy never came back. His car was there and all his stuff, but he never came back. That's all the information she has. A John who abandoned her in a motel room, uh, a tweaker's horror story, and rumors from a twilight community of drug addicts, prostitutes, and late-night employees. The police never followed up on any of it for obvious reasons. Her story is the only lead, the only clue I found in it doesn't lead anywhere. Here I am, five years later, 17 pounds heavier, God knows how many balls of Lefroy deep, and, and the, the groove in my orange plaid couch is so worn, I can feel the springs. I'm still here. All of us who knew Casey, who loved her, we're all still here. Going on. Or standing still. Mark, I have made no accusations. To live for five years under this, this cloud of suspicion. Never convicted, never innocent. It, it wears on you. I feel guilty. Like I did something wrong. I should have, I shouldn't have. It's the same two or three thoughts repeating themselves over and over and over again. Are you dating anyone? No. Have you? Since Casey. Nothing serious. I mean, even if I do start seeing someone at a certain point, it comes up, your past, who you've dated, and I have to tell them about Casey. That's where it ends. If she had died, if she, if she had left me, I might be over it by now, but this, 
Everything is suspended. Nothing is over. There's no closure. I, I can barely stand to look at you. You look just like her. But when she looked at me, she loved me. And when you look at me, it, it's like you hate me more than anyone in the world. I, I don't hate you. Maybe some of us are just meant to be alone. It's our fate. That stuck with me. It's like Casey was a fire and we were all gathered around her, warming our hands. Now the fire's out and we're still here, gathered around the missing center. My best friend, Sylvia, lost her son in the Iraq War. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I envy her. He's gone. We scattered his ashes, we mourned, we grieved. It's over. There's often a Navajo word for some concept we don't have in English. But as far as I know, there isn't any word for a, a wound that just keeps bleeding and bleeding and, and uh, won't ever heal. Monument Valley was written by Lizzie V and produced, edited, and directed by Robert A.K. Gagneau, featuring the vocal talents of Laura Hooper as Jill Wright, Anna Savant as Mary Louise Wright, Tara Godomsky as Rhonda Grinnell, Nick Fondoulis as Mark Percy, and Caitlin Johnston as Lacey Renault. Monument Valley first appeared on The Jest Podcast, November 23rd, 2015. You can find more from Jest at jestcast.com. That's G-E-S-T-E-C-A-S-T dot com. Special thanks to Tara Godomsky for first getting this podcast out into the world. And a reminder about my other gig, leading tours of haunted locations through Greenwich Village in New York. Now, I do understand it's the middle of winter as I'm first posting this episode, but perhaps you're the hearty sort and would like a cold weather tour. Or maybe you're listening to this in the future. Either way, reach out at hauntedmanhattan.com. Remember, you want a tour with The Professor in Greenwich Village. And once you've taken mine, you'll no doubt want to join my friend The Concierge on a tour of the West Village, as well as Frankie the Bartender in the East Village. Again, hauntedmanhattan.com. Until next time, listeners. Listeners.